Hello, and welcome to the Anchor Discipleship Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help guide and grow you in your walk with the Lord by providing an in-depth study of God's Word with this lesson. So please grab your Bibles and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with this week's lesson. What I want to turn to then is to that final government we're going to. Uh, we talked about this in, in Daniel, so I want you to turn to page 12 in your Footsteps of the Messiah. And we've looked at, you know, the four Gentile empires that would arise. Three have, well actually four have come, and we're looking at the different phases of the last empire, and this is totally relevant to everything we're talking about. Because the way the world's getting, people are going to cry out for a one-world government to get control of things, to get control of the economies, to get control of people that they don't. We don't have another ISIS, and then and then to deal with the the, the so-called problem of Israel. Israel will be a stumbling stone to many people, and so we've looked at that. And on page twelve, just to kind of review. That letter E on the very top, that's what we have discovered so far in, in our understanding of Daniel 2 and Daniel 7. This is what Daniel has explained to us what'll happen, what'll happen. So where we're at in this is we are in the two division stage of the East and West balance of power. The next stage, obviously you can see on letter C on number four is the one world government. Then it'll branch into a 10 stage, uh, division. And that's into the uh, first half of, half of the tribulation. And then you get to the Antichrist stage, which will be the last half of the tribulation. Then obviously the Messianic kingdom where Christ rules for a thousand years. Okay, to review just a little bit, when you get into Revelation, John opens up Daniel's prophecy even more and introduces a more definitive, more detailed explanation of this government and and tries to get you to narrowly see what's in focus here. So he adds another element that was not new before. So let's review a little bit and start in verse 1 of Revelation 13. Then I stood on the sand of the sea and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. That refers to the beast government that Daniel had saw. He was called, it was undescribable. The sea, obviously, I hope in your notes, it should refer to a Gentile, comes out of the Gentile area. And the sea, obviously, is the Mediterranean Sea, okay? Having seven heads. Now, that's the new element that he's introduced. Daniel has not talked about this element of having seven heads. That's a new element John has now given us uh, to understand. And then ten horns, that has already been introduced by Daniel, so we understand that. And on his horns, ten crowns, or diadems. And on his heads, a blasphemous name. Okay, so now the beast which I saw, interesting here, this is the new element, was like a leopard, and his feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth was like the mouth of a lion. If you recall in Daniel, Daniel said he couldn't describe it. But John now is able to describe it, and he's telling you, it has parts of the former empires involved in it. Right? Okay. Notice where it gets its power. The dragon, obviously Satan, gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. 
So now you got to you got to be careful on the interchange here in Revelation. In Revelation, John will flip flop from calling the Antichrist the beast and the government the beast. He is one in the same. It is like when you say the president of the United States, uh, he represents all of the United States. Uh, it, it, it's so the beast will sometimes refer to the, the Antichrist and the government itself. Okay. So, what's given authority is the Antichrist, okay? And he has the power of Satan behind him. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. Again, I'm going to make reference to that later on in Revelation 17, but we talked about that last time as the Antichrist, having received a death blow, dies and is resurrected by Satan. Now, we talked about the controversy in that. We talked about, some believe he, it's a counterfeit resurrection. Some scholars believe it's a true resur re resurrection based on the wording in the text. And I'll show you in 17 another emphasis about it. But the wording is um, as if it seems like, well, it seems like to be real, but that same phrase is used in Revelation chapter 5, I believe, with our Lord and I saw the lamb standing before the throne as if it had been slain. So that term, that, that word order is used for Christ. Well, we know Christ died and resurrected. So that same word order is used on the Antichrist. So there's where the debate is. I'll let it lie with you, but I'm going to show you one more evidence from Revelation 17 that it is a resurrection from the dead. Okay? I believe. You can disagree, that's fine, but I'm going to show you another scripture about this. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worship the dragon who gave authority to the beast. So they're honestly, they're going to worship Antichrist, but they're going to worship Satan himself through the Antichrist. And they worship the beast saying, who is like the beast, who is able to make war with him. Because that is his God, is war. That's how he controls the world. And he was um, given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months. So really, if you want to think about it, the domination of the Antichrist over the entire world is a relatively short period of time, 42 months. That seems short. It's three and a half years. Three and a half lunar years. 30-day months. Steve. I'm not sure. I'm going off the top of my head. It's in, it's in chapter 5 when they sing the song of the Lamb. And they say he is standing. He stands before the throne, and and I saw verse six. Okay, verse six. As if he had been mortally wounded. Okay, verse six. Then he opened his mouth in in blasphemy against God, to blaspheme his name, this tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. Okay, so he's he's cursing God, cursing those who are in heaven, cursing Christians, and cursing believers in the Lord. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and authority was given to him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. So it's worldwide domination, absolute imperialism is what we're talking about. And all who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the, in the book of life of the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. He who is led into captivity shall go into captivity, and who kills with a sword must be killed with the sword. Here is patience and faith of the saints. Okay, So, in that Text, he's introduced a new piece of information, the seven heads, okay? And that's what we want to develop. 
we talked about the resurrection, so I, what I'd like you to do is jump to page 13, and let's see how John explains the seven heads, this new element. We're going to talk about the Antichrist later. So all these particulars, I, I know I'm going over because I want to focus in on when we study the Antichrist, we'll, we'll really develop this. What we're focusing in on now is the government right now. That's what we want to focus in on, on this government that he's doing. So John explains this in 17, 7 through 14, the seven heads. But the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has seven heads and ten horns. Now, obviously, to do a little backtrack, the beast is the, is the, is this government, this worldwide government, one world government. But notice, he's already said that this mystery of a woman, this mystery woman he's going to explain in Revelation 17, it's mystery Babylon. It is a supra religion. It is a super religion that encompasses all false religions. It came from out of Babylon. It is described as a woman because she's a seductress of, of humans into her. And so what you're seeing, he's already, he already assumes you already know this because he explained it, that the government of this imperialistic form of Roman government will be married to this whore. She will ride it. It will support her. They will be connected. And the government will use this as the glue to keep everybody together. We call it a one-world religion. It's the ultimate form of ecumenicism. That's what Babylonianism is. It's, it's a supra thing. Now, what do you think it excludes, though? It excludes Christians or anyone that believes in the Bible. If you believe in the Bible for what it says and take it for what it says, you cannot be part of it. You will not. In fact, I can tell you what will happen. She will behead you. With the government backing it, the one world government will start issuing decapitations all throughout the world for those who don't play ball. So you think ISIS is bad beheading, you have not seen anything yet. And what I've told you over and over again in the past few weeks is, you think ISIS is barbaric, you have not seen what the whore of Babylon will do. It will, she will murder more people ever in history with the blood of the saints. So when she comes into power and has the full backing of government, they will enact that capital punishment and behead people. Now, what's happening now is you see the ecumenical movement developing. You see it now with, let's just all get along, this kumbaya attitude. And behind it is a real motivation to get rid of true Bible-believing Christians and to get rid of Jews. That's the motivation behind it. Because if you differ with them, like right, right now, the ecumenical movement, the trump card they're trying to use on the church, the real church is homosexuality. That's what they're trying to delegitimize and marginalize true believers is by that issue. And that, that you, and then also the other issues that are theological as far as believing Christ is the only way, and if you don't believe in Him, you're going to hell. If you believe that in that period of time, you will be decapitated. If you go against the grain, against their morals, you will be decapitated. This is why so many people die 
You can already see it in Revelation 6. I saw the souls under the altar that had what? Been beheaded. So it's a, it, you, Satan is very diabolical in this. Like I've told you, he sets up a crisis for the world to turn to him to resolve, and what he causes to resolve it is even worse than what the problem was. It's way more than that. Hope. Is, is it combining what now? Yeah, I mean, I think when you see those persecutions, especially in the early church, you know, those kinds of things, uh, the barbaricism towards Christians, impaling them, things like that, you're going to see it again and ratchet it up to a level we've never seen before where they'll think they're doing God a favor by doing this, getting rid of believers. Now, the rapture, we're not for this. Uh, we're not here for this because we're raptured. But after that, and there's believers that start coming to faith, that's what will happen to many, many believers is they'll be martyred. Jews, you know, the 144,000, that's why they're sealed for protection so that they don't get marked so they can continue to tear, take the message all over the world. And so they're protected in that. The two witnesses are protected up till the midpoint and many, and the remnants protected of Israel, but not Gentiles. Gentiles are not protected even if they become believers. That's why I always say, you know, yes, you get a second chance after the rapture. You, you don't get a chance after the, after the, the mark of the beast is issued in the, in the three and a half year mark, but People will say, well, I'll just pull it off, and if you guys vanish, then I'll probably accept the Lord. I said, okay, you'll get a second chance, but you'll die. Do you want to be decapitated, or would you just like to be translated and not die? I think I would take the rapture. Um, so it's this mindset of, oh, I'll just put it off. No, you're going to lose your head over this. It doesn't mean you're not going to be saved, but people, people get funny about that stuff. It's weird um, what they'll put off. But anyway... So the two are combined, so he then is going to explain this. And this next verse in verse 8 is another evidence that the Antichrist dies. The beast that you saw was, and is not, and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. That verse is talking about the Antichrist. It's singular, the beast. Now, it's not talking about the government. I know it's, the whole context is in the government, but, but like I said, John will flip-flop between talking about an individual or talking about the government. In this case, the government has never ceased. You can't send the government to perdition, to, to hell. A government is a, is a system. So who can you send to hell or the lake of fire? People or an individual. So in this sense, this is the verse that many people use to support a resurrection from the dead by the Antichrist. Where does he come from? Who was not and comes from where? The abyss. The bottomless pit. Okay? When someone dies, they go to the pit. We call it hell. The pit's in the middle of the earth. The reason why it's a bottomless pit is because it's geocentric in the earth. There is no bottom necessarily because it's circular. So, he's called back up out of hell to come back into his body and is animated again and 
feigns a resurrection. Again, Antichrist is duplicating what Christ has already done. But it's not by the power of God, it is by the power of Satan. We talked about him duplicating the, the virgin birth. We talked about him uh, now duplicating a resurrection from the dead. Now this will be so miraculous, this is what causes people this great sign and wonder to start worshiping him as God. And you can see why. I mean, the, the mortal wound he suffers is in the war in Daniel chapter 11, and when he sees his power but, uh, from the three, uh, three kings, but he loses his life in the battle. But then he comes back to life. So, the idea then, it, it tells you basically his whole history. He was, was not, is dead, comes out of the bottomless pit, comes back to life, but then his ultimate destiny is the lake of fire. Okay. We move on. And to those who dwell on the earth will marvel, whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. Of course they will. They will, they was, he was dead. He came back to life. He must be God, right? That's what they're going to say. Now, it gets tricky. And you got to stay with me or I'll lose you like a wet bar of soap in a shower. Okay? So hold on. We're going to walk through this real slow. And you can see why he says this. He says, here's wisdom, right? Here is a mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue for a short time. The beast that was and is not is himself the eighth and is of the seven and is going to perdition. Now let's unpack that. Yikes. Wow. Okay. John, thank you very much. Um, <laughs> okay. What we have already learned, and I've told you in hermeneutics, is that certain terms mean certain things, consistently speaking. Okay? So, we've he's introduced the seven heads, right? That's the new concept. Now he's going to explain what the seven heads are. They are seven mountains with which the woman sits. Please do not take this as the Catholic Church over there in the Vatican in Italy that sits on seven mountains. It is not talking about that. This is figurative language that has a real meaning. What I've always told you is mountains consistently is interpreted governments or kingdoms. Jesus started, you know, is consistent with this when he said, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can do what? Was he talking about literal mountains or was he talking figurative with what he was discussing? Because the context is demon possession. What kingdom was he talking about? What happened to the disciples? They could not exercise a certain demon out of people. And Jesus chastises them and says, look, boys, I already told you how to do this. These don't come out without prayer and fasting. You tried to attempt to do this without faith. I'm telling you, boys, with faith, you can move kingdoms of darkness. They knew exactly what he was talking about. 
So Jesus is consistent. I know, I know people will, will read into mountains that you have your own personal mountain and this and that. You're contextually restrained from doing that. The text is not allowing you to do it. The text is telling you what that means. Yes, it's figurative language, but the figurative always points to a literal. And the literalness is kingdom or government. If you don't get that one straight, you will get the book of Revelation all messed up. And other passages as well. As what has happened with Reformed theology in, in, in reading this, they, a lot of them read into it the Catholic Church. And I understand why the reformers were doing that. They were breaking away from the Catholic Church, and they were mad at the Catholic Church, and called the Pope the Antichrist, and they said, Aha! Vatican sits on seven mountains. The mountains are Capitolia, and all these other mountains, I forget the names of them. There's seven. Haha! It's Rome. It can't be. It's bigger than Rome. The whore of Babylon encompasses Rome. There's no doubt about it. She's part of the whore. But it includes the Mormons, the Jehovah Witnesses, it includes the Muslims, it includes the Hindus. She's way bigger than the Church of Rome. Always has been. The Church of growth is, Rome is just an outgrowth of her. So, to understand consistently what he, he's going to tell you what it means. He says the seven, the seven mountains, or sorry, the seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. Now here's the interpretive. It's real simple. The next verse is connected to this verse. There are also seven kings in the story. It's that simple. He has told you the new thing I've introduced to you is that the seven mountains are really seven kings of this government. Okay? So he tells us that the brilliance of the book of Revelation, it's not a mystery. John will always tell you, if he's, try, if he's trying to explain it, he'll tell you it. And if, if he doesn't tell you it, what he assumes is that you know the Old Testament. And he's referring back to an Old Testament passage. He'll never leave you without information, ever. John's brilliant about that. Yeah, I, I, I think there's, there's, I don't want to say he's cryptic, but he's Jewish. John is extremely Jewish. And because that's how the Jews thought, they thought in patterns, and they thought in um, figurative language, they thought in um, I, I, visions and things like that. And John is trying, I think what you see with prophecy is John is trying to explain things he has seen in the future, and the only way he can explain it is to put it in his language to make that his readers understand what he's saying. Right, they can't understand this. They'll never get this. Right. I, I think that's how the whole Bible is. It's like reading someone else's mail if you're not a believer. And I, I agree with you on that. I, I don't. It's the process of, of illumination that the Holy Spirit gives, I think that. So in one sense, you could say that maybe it's encrypted, but it's not encrypted to believers. Believers should pick up on it right there. If... If they have the sermon and they're, and they're using a consistent hermeneutic. Because it's funny, some people in the Reformed camp will be consistent in their hermeneutics in Romans. But they won't take that consistency and put it on the book of Revelation. Because if they did, it'd give them a pre-trib, pre-millennial version. And they won't, they won't do that. So they're inconsistent. So, yeah, you have to use a literal, a, a literal, historical, cultural, lexical, syntactical analysis all through the Bible to be consistent in your interpretation. So, 
Because why do you think the book of Revelation comes with a blessing of those who read it and understand it? Because to, to understand it, you have to use a literal, consistent hermeneutic. If you don't, you will mess the whole thing up and you don't know what things mean. Augustine completely spiritualized the whole deal. And once he spiritualized it, well, even before him, with Origen, they didn't want the book of Revelation in the Bible. That was the last book with the school of Alexandria didn't want in because it was so literal and it told everything about history and where it was going. They didn't want anything to do with it. And uh, by the way, some Protestants are not too far off from that either. That's another problem. So they, they historicize this, they idealize this. Okay, five have fallen. These are seven kings. Okay, five have fallen. One is, and the other has not yet come. So now he has introduced to you sequence, chronological order. Not contemporary. The ten kings are, and the ten toes are contemporary kings with the Antichrist. He has now introduced a sequence to you. Five have fallen in the past. And notice what he says. One is. Who is he referring to? Who's contemporary with that, that text? John. One is with John and will continue and is with us today. Different, in different, in a different phase, but is with us today. And what is the next one? And the other has not yet come. We'll flush that out. Okay, so there it is, sequential order, originating from imperialism, not Greece, not Babylon, not Medo-Persia, but originating from, let's just talk about Rome, okay? Originating from Rome will be seven kings or governments within this system, sequentially. Five have already passed, their history. One is contemporary with John and with us now currently, and one was yet to come, another king. Okay? Sequential order. Is everybody good so far? Yes. It hasn't went away. It is. Yes, and we're in different phases of it. What we have studied before this is that the, the Roman or the imperialism is in different phases. Well, we've got to find out what phase we're in. We've, I think we've figured that out. We're in the two-legged phase, right? But then he's introduced kings now. So we got our phases down, but now we got to figure out what king we're in or what government we're in, what form of government. Now, at the end of this, I have the question. I want you to keep it in the back of your mind. Why is John being so specific? Why would he do this? Okay, keep that in the back of your mind. Five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he comes, he must continue a short time. You can already imagine who we're talking about. Antichrist. That's why this king has not yet come. He is the seventh. Now notice what he says. The beast that was and is not, what did we learn in, in that, that previous chapter about him going to the bottomless pit in verse 8? That's what the same reference is. This individual, this king, this beast that was and is not that died is himself also the eighth and is of the seven and is going to perdition. Yeah, it means that he'll give, he'll, he'll be given a reign for a short time. Now he's already explained the reign will be 42 months. 
in Revelation 13. So the short time, he's referring back to three and a half years, or the 42 months. So when he reigns, when he's in full power, he only is on this earth for three and a half years, fully reigning the entire planet. Okay, okay. let me give you one more clue before you... you before we go on, verse 12. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet, but they will receive authority for one hour as king with the beast. Okay? He introduces that to bring that into remembrance of you, for you. Okay. Do you remember what Daniel predicted about the ten kings? What would the little horn that came out he destroys three, but when he grows up, he's an eleventh horn. But then he takes out three, making him what number? But yet he's seven. I'm confusing you, aren't I? People, people look at me like a termite in a yo-yo and say, what in the world is he saying? Okay. Sequential, contemporary, okay? Sequential, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. The Antichrist is the seven. Horizontal, contemporary, he's eight. Because he's taken out three already. He was 11, he took out three, he becomes the eight, but he's also number seven. Sequentially, horizontally, he's number eight. Is that making sense? No. <laughs> we need a chart. Okay. Yeah, get your chart out. Okay. Go to the times of the Gentiles. That chart right there. And then have in your, have in your hand the sixth head. Let's walk through that real quick. Times of the Gentiles first. Times of the Gentiles first, and then have under that the sixth head. And then we'll confuse a little bit more. All right. Everybody there? Anybody need a handout for that? Let's walk through this. Take your Times of the Gentiles chart, and let's backtrack a little bit and, and recap. Obviously, destruction of uh, destruction of the Jerusalem Solomonic Temple 586 BC Israel's taken into captive therefore Daniel predicts four worldwide empires you already got the first one the first Gentile empire Babylonian you got it second Gentile empire Medo-Persia you got it third empire Hellenistic you got it Alexander the Great and then obviously it was predicted his four generals Ptolemy Seleucus Cassander Lysimachus would come out of that then he predicted a fourth Gentile empire, so you go under that, development prelude to the fourth Gentile empire, previous forms of the Roman government that is predicted. Remember, he said the seven kings, or seven mountains are seven kings of this fourth empire. Therefore, in history, what we find out is that five were, one is, and one is yet to come. So we go back in history, and those heads are easily found out of what they were. They were first the Tarkin kings, and this is in Rome, okay? This is the Roman Empire. Then the consulors. Then you had the third head was the plebeians or dictators. You had the fourth head was with the republicans and Decemvirs. That was called the oligarchy of ten. 
Then the fifth head was the triumphant. Okay, this is all before John's time, all before our Lord was even born. All this was going on in Italy. All this was going on in this rise of an empire. Okay, so now move to the the second page, the sixth head. Five have fallen. The Tarkins, the Consulars, Plebeians, the Republicans, and the Triumvirates have fallen. One is the sixth head. In the sixth head are phases. What was the phase? So, so from basically, um, you have the United States, which is Roman Empire, strong as iron. We talked about the East and West balance of power. Then we're looking forward to the one world government and then the ten stage kingdom. Okay, so all this to say, con- contemporary with John and contemporary with us, we're in the sixth head. But you can see being in the sixth head that there's phases. Everybody following? Okay, so... In John's day, he wrote in 95 A.D., what stage is he in? Our face. The United stage. Where are we? The two-division stage. We're in the same head, but we're in a different phase than John. And where we're going is the one-world government, and it will still be part of the sixth head, and the ten-kingdom stage is part of the sixth head. The sixth head will end with the Antichrist stage, he is the seventh head, but he's also an eighth contemporary with the ten toes. Antichrist states absolutely imperialism. The little horn of the eleventh horn is in relation to the ten and becomes the eighth horn to be destroyed by God, ending Gentile domination of Israel. So the fifth stage of the fourth and final Gentile empire. This is why he starts off, here is a mind who has wisdom. Okay, that's why he starts it off. That's why, but see, that comes back to my original question. I know, folks, this has taken almost 2,000 years to, res- to I shouldn't say 2,000, 1,500 years to get back. They knew this. The early Christians knew this. Not all the details like you and I as far as like currently what's going on, but this was buried. And it's been resurrected, so to speak, through, through Protestant scholarship and getting back to literal understanding. In the end, knowledge would increase. The knowledge, and because those who would want it would seek it and start studying the scripture. This is why prophecy is on the top shelf. This is why churches don't preach it. This is why pastors won't go after it, because it takes an enormous amount of work to get there. The, the knowledge. The knowledge. Daniel, and Daniel says that in, what, chapter 12 of... Uh, People you say, well, knowledge, it, it, people's intellect will increase. And not it. It's, the, it. it's a definite article in Hebrew that refers to what I've just told you in prophecy from chapter, chapter 2 to, to now, chapter 12. People will start searching for this in the end. They'll be interested in it. And the knowledge will increase. The knowledge will increase. That's why you and I and this whole class is starting to get it now. Uh, because we're in the last days. He said, in the last days, this is what will happen. The believers will start putting this all together. The one world government has to happen prior to the tribulation, because if you read Revelation, it's already in a ten-league ten stage. Yeah, that's... 
Yeah, absolutely. And we could even watch it crumble and turn into a ten division stage if we are left here longer. So yeah, the only thing we're spared from, guys, is the is the tribulation. No, we will not. Yeah, and even if he's arising out of the Ten Kingdom stage, you won't be able to identify him. It's possible. It's possible. If the rapture, if God delays the rapture, we could see a one world government, we could see a ten league confederation that breaks apart from the one world government. It'll still control the globe, but there'll be ten governing regions. It's possible. Now, it is possible too, Lynn, at the same time, we could be raptured tonight and you could have a span of 25 years go until the tribulation. There's no time period between the rapture and the tribulation. It just happens imminently. And like I told you before, what sets off the tribulation is the signing of the peace covenant between Israel and Antichrist, which could happen decades, possibly. It doesn't have to happen. Most people have it in their mind, it's rapture, then tribulation. And that's not necessarily the pattern. You could have you could have span of time go, and then that all develop. I don't know. I mean, things obviously would develop very quickly, and they're ready to go. But um, yeah, it's very possible we could see these stages develop. Kenny, and then I think I saw a hand over here. I got to get back to it. He's later on down the road. Yeah, we don't, and see. That's what we've talked about is the closer we live toward the time period, the more in focus prophecy starting to become. Because in the old days, and, and I, I give credit to the old, the old timers who wrote prophecy, you know, they set the, they set the foundation. But a lot of them weren't exact, if that makes sense. They were, they would talk about a one world government and the Antichrist. But then when you start seeing scripture and you, you get into the details of it, scripture is telling you, wait a second, there's phases here. And he comes at this phase, not before. And he doesn't come to a, a full power of the entire earth until the, the mid-trib point. And so I, I think that's that's the privilege we have, Kenny, of living in the end times, is that this stuff comes into focus clearer than it ever has, and we understand it better. And, and it's always been said, prophecy guys, I remember Walvard saying one time that the generation that lives closest to these events will understand it the best. And I get that. That makes sense. I saw a hand over here. Jim. In the sixth, I would like it before the one world government. Uh, personally. Uh, but biblically, we don't know. We don't know. Like, like I said, the rapture only guarantees us that we're taken before the tribulation starts. That's the only thing we're guaranteed. Which is, thank God for that, because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But could we see the development of this? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think we're watching it happen in front of our very eyes. We could we could get out even past where the 10-stage kingdom's already set. It's possible. But it's possible the rapture could happen tonight. We're in the, we're in the age of imminency, so it just depends on when Christ decides to take us home at that point. No. It would be... Seven years of tribulation. Yes. Extremely quickly, yes. And it not work. So apparently, they try it, and it doesn't work. And I can tell you why. Daniel tells why. The feet are partly iron, partly clay. They don't mix. 
They break apart, right? And because ceramic will not blend to iron. And so what Daniel's trying to show you is the reason it breaks up so quickly in this, this one world government, and then even in the toe stage, it's fragile, is because individual nation states don't really want to give up their national sovereignty. And that's going to be a, a problem for uniting the whole world. It won't go there. It, there's a resistance to it. So like in Europe, I know they're part of the EU, but the French like to be French. The English like to be English. And that resistance or that that proclivity to be more loyal to their country, or be, patriotism we would call it, will be the problem of why they won't mesh. Even though there's people in our country that, that want to do this, there will be a resistance to it. It won't fully work out. Yes. Yeah, So, and we can see that too. We can see, oh, that's all pre-tribulational events. So what, what I mean by that is, when we say pre-tribulational events, that means wrath is not being poured out directly on the planet. God is allowing certain things to happen. He might do things supernaturally, but wrath is not being poured out because when does wrath start? When Christ breaks the seals. Remember? In Revelation. That's when wrath is poured out, and that is, that is what we are spared from. We cannot have wrath poured out on us because Christ took our wrath. That's why the church is spared with the rapture. We're taken out of there. It could be any number of things, man. But something won't mesh when the world tries it. So, what you see, when you get a, a good bird's eye view of what happens, it dissolves very quickly into a ten-leg confederation. And that doesn't even stay very much, because that only lasts for like the first three and a half years of the tribulation. And then Antichrist breaks it up. He seizes control at that point in time, and then takes over the whole system. He kills three of the kings and takes over their region. So basically, he, he controls um, three out of the ten regions, which would make him the major power broker in the world, and then the rest of them submit to him. And that only lasts for three and a half years. But it doesn't mean he's not on the scene doing his dirty work. He is, but he's setting the whole thing up until that point in time. You got it. And the methodology of him taking over is war. He... He apparently has a lot of money, and he has the backing of military behind him. Because in Daniel, it says he doesn't worship the God of his fathers, nor nor the, the desire of women. The, the, he's, he says he worships the fortresses. He's a, he worships the God of fortresses. He's a military guy. And by military might, that's why he takes over. Who can make war against him? And then when he has this resurrection thing, and... The false prophet is doing signs and wonders in the name. No one's going to try to touch him at all. And that's when he issues the mark of the beast. The mark of the beast doesn't come till the three and a half year mark. So what's happening at the first, the first half of the tribulation? A tenly confederation. But then God is throwing judgments on the planet. And who's in charge? This tenly confederation and a whore. What will happen is the Antichrist will destroy the whore. He destroys her. These ten kings end up destroying her because he's got to get her out of the way so that he can get the worship. He's not going to let the super-religion go on. He wants the worship, and ultimately he will take it through this mark. So there's a lot that goes on, and a lot that has to build to this. And what I'm telling you right now, if you study what's happening around the world, 
The table is setting for this. It's already there. Thanks for joining us for another episode of The Anchor Discipleship. We hope that this message is a blessing to you and helps you grow towards a more mature understanding of God's Word. Rock Harbor Church has two other podcasts. The first is called The Anchor Sunday Sermons and is filled with pastors' Sunday messages. And the second is The Anchor Bible Study. It's filled with past and continuing Bible studies preached during our Wednesday evening services. If you enjoy this message and would like to hear them, please check the description of this episode or search your favorite podcast streaming services. Rock Harbor Church also has a print-to-order merchandise store. You can shop for Rock Harbor merch at rockharborchurch.store. Support for all three of our podcasts comes from your generous gifts and donations. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website, rockharborchurch.net. Keep looking up for our redemption draws near. God bless.